In fact, our goal here at Valley Creek is to help people walk in faith in the Lord. And over the next few Sundays, we are going to be focused around the theme of family. And the goal is to help families walk in faith. And no matter what your family looks like, this will be a series designed for you to help you walk deeper in your faith. I don't want a single person this morning or in the weeks that comes to say, oh, this series is not for me or this sermon is not for me because that is not true. There's going to be something in every sermon for no matter who you are because God has a challenge for us all. In fact, here's what I want you to do this morning. Take out your Bibles. I want you to turn to Psalm 127, all right? Even if you have that on your phone, I don't care if you open up on your phone. As long as you're not playing in games, open up your Bible. I don't care. However you do it, turn to Psalm 127 as we talk about the foundation of a strong family. You know, as I spent time in the classroom for a year and a half, one thing became very clear to me that families are struggling. I already knew that before, but it became apparent as I worked closely with young students. We, we could probably talk about very specific aspects of those struggles, but in general, families need a lot of help and support. I often saw students who obviously had no support at home, and then I saw students who had parents who were active in their children's lives, but were seemingly at a loss to know how to raise their kids. I even dealt with grandparents and aunts and uncles who had taken on the role of parent for some children. And when we look at many of the struggles that we see in schools and society at large, I think we can trace many of those issues back to the home. The family is an institution that God created and has a perfect design for, but Satan has clearly and often effectively worked to destroy families. Satan has surely brought turmoil into our families and as a result, turmoil into our communities. Hear me, if our communities are going to be stronger, one place that we must become stronger is in our families, okay? So over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at some general principles we need as families as well as we're gonna have some weeks where we look at some very specific topics that families must be prepared to address in the world in which we live. Now, Psalm 127 is a place to look to begin. Now, how do we build this foundation of a strong family? Look at what God's word says in this psalm. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate." Now, as you read this psalm, it should be fairly evident that family is a central focus of this text. As we look at this passage together and find the insights God has placed here, let me remind you of this. I'm not sharing this as an expert on families, okay? Yes, I've been married for almost 35 years. Yes, I have four grown children who are all married. Yes, I now have two grandchildren, but that does not make me an expert on families. In fact, Here's what probably, uh, you know, as we look at this series, some of you are wanting me to do as we talk about families. Some of you probably want me to give you a list of you do these things and I'll guarantee you, you'll have the perfect family, right? Or are you wanting me to give you an easy process for training up the perfect kids? Well, if that's you, I'm going to disappoint because probably the older I get, the more I realize there is much I do not know. 
I mean, there is advice I can give. There are principles I believe that we can follow, but there is no guarantee, no guaranteed process for having a perfect family. In fact, if God, who is the perfect parent, had children who rebel, hear me, there are going to be some people here, some parents here who do things right in their home that are still going to have children rebel. Y'all hear me? That's just a reality of the situation. However, there are things that we can do to give our families the greatest chance to be strong, the greatest chance to be a source of joy rather than a source of heartache, all right? Now, the first thing we look, need to look at today is this. If you're going to have a strong family built on this foundation, let God be the master builder of your home. Here's one thing parents do too much, all right? They put too much weight on their shoulders when it comes to raising their kids, Okay, I see some parents already smiling out in the crowd, right? Verse one says this, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Verse two then says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Now, as I read those verses, one thing I'm reminded of is that when you become a parent, immediately you realize there's something in your life that you lose. You lose some sleep. Right? If you don't believe me, ask my son Jacob and his wife right now, Courtney, all right? Because they have a, when you have a baby in your home, I mean, sleep is a commodity, right? You long for sleep or are excited when you get three or more hours of sleep. In fact, they were visiting the other day and they were so excited. I mean, Isaac slept for five hours straight the other night and they couldn't believe it. They were like, yes, we got five hours straight of sleep, right? And, and now that's the reality of having a baby, right? Yes. However, what you need to consider is not the lack of sleep that comes from a baby who wakes up every hour to be fed because that time passes. What this scripture is really talking about is that loss of sleep that comes from anxiety and worry over a child as he or she grows. If the final result, hear me, if the final result of a life is dependent solely upon you, then yes, you should lose sleep. You should lose sleep because there's always another conversation that needs to be had. There's another lesson that needs to be taught, another mistake that needs to be corrected, another fear that needs to be addressed, another you name it. There's always another one of those to be had, right? And so if the outcome of a child's life depends solely upon you, then you'd better not sleep at all. But here's what God's word is telling us, that if you never sleep, do all that you can to build your home, that you do it all in vain if the Lord is not in it. If you do it without the Lord, it is all in vain. God is the one that can build your home better than you. Okay. Here's the mistake that some parents make. They think if I just love and support my kids, that's all they really need from me. Right? But kids don't just need love. I mean, yes, they need love because God himself is love and he desires we love others and surely he desires that we love our children. However, if we give them love, but we don't give them God, then all we've ever really given them is a shallow love. Right? Remember, it is God who demonstrates what real love looks like. God's demonstrated love by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. He sent Jesus to die for imperfect people in order that we might be forgiven and have a relationship with him. And so if we don't express our love in the context of a deeper love of God, kids will grow up with a false idea of what love is and fail to love in the deepest way possible. They will fail to love with a love that is selfless, sacrificial, and sincere, and they will grow up and never experience the love that offers them joy, hope, and eternal life. Are y'all with me? Okay. 
Now, with that said, I'm reminded, if you're going to let God be the master of builder of your home, you need to make sure that you have God as a priority in both your biological family, all right, and your church family. One thing I didn't point out before I read our scripture today is pointing out the kind of psalm that Psalm 127 is. If you don't already know, let me inform you that the psalms are really songs, And I hope you realize as well that songs have been moving people for a long time. Songs are not just a modern phenomenon. God created people in a way that music touches the soul. And so we should not be surprised that scriptures contain a songbook of sorts. And so if you look at the description of this psalm, all right, in other words, if you were to pick up your Bible and you read Psalm 127, the next thing it says is a little headline. It's a little title. It says, A Song of Ascents of Solomon. Does that move you? Does that inspire you today? A song of ascents to Solomon, all right? Now, now, if you read that, maybe you just read quickly and it doesn't make any difference to you. But if we take the time to recognize this as a song of ascent, we realize that this is a song that was sung by the Jewish pilgrims, okay? Now, don't make the mistake that these pilgrims, for the pilgrims we talk about at Thanksgiving, all right? That's not what we're talking about, all right? But understand, a pilgrim is a person who journeys to a sacred place for religious reasons. This psalm was a song that was sung by the Jewish pilgrims as they were making their way to Jerusalem for their annual pilgrimage to the temple. Therefore, this was a song that was sung, all right, not just by one single family, This was a song being sung by the collective body of believers as they were traveling together to worship God. These pilgrims would have included children, teenagers, young adults, middle-aged adults, senior adults. There have been those who are married people, those who are single people. There would have been widows and widowers. These pilgrims would have been a collective of believers going to worship together. And here's what we need to recognize is that even though this may have been a passage where we speak about parenting, it is really a passage of scripture that is pointing all believers, all right, all believers who are part of God's family. That's who it's up to and about. We can never just say, because I don't have children of my own, these passages don't apply to me because I'm here to tell you they most assuredly do. I, I say that because for a family to be strong, All right, you need a church family which complements your biological family. A church family gives supporting voices to the home so that a child grows to understand the importance of God in one's life. If you don't have a biological child of your own, it doesn't mean you cannot invest in children and students and help them walk in the Lord. Parents need these other voices speaking the truth of God into their life. There's nothing more encouraging for a parent than having a strong small group leader who is investing in their children and students. There's nothing more encouraging than a godly senior adult who takes interest in children and students, speaking to them during connection times or who volunteer and help with activities and events. There's nothing more encouraging than other godly adults who take interest in a child or student and speaks godly wisdom when they are asked. A church family is critical to a home being strong and is part of letting the Lord build your home. This psalm, again, was the collective voices of believers singing together and affirming together the importance of letting the Lord build the house. It was the collective voices of believers helping each other remember the importance of God and pointing the next generation to that God that they have walked with for many years. These collective voices serve to strengthen the importance of God in the lives of individuals and the community. 
Folks, if church is something that you do as a family occasionally or haphazardly, you are missing out on an important part of letting the Lord build your home. Okay? Let me say to the children and students in our midst, be thankful for the adults who invest in you at church because they don't have to. But they choose to love you and to teach you because they love the Lord and they want the best for you. Be thankful for these adults and don't be afraid to listen to the godly adults at church seeking to invest in your life. Now, with that said, remember a church most likely gets around 104 hours a year with your child or student and that's probably for the most committed families. You as a parent get over 1,800 hours a year if you just consider spending five hours a day with your child. Now, if you consider the fact that really that child is yours 24-7, that means you get 8,700 hours with that child, right? However you look at it as a parent, you will have the greatest opportunity to influence your child more than anyone else. You should use that time to build a godly home. As Jacob mentioned last week, Deuteronomy 6 tells us that you do this through your daily routine. When you wake up, you're teaching about God. When they walk along the path, you're teaching about God. When they lie down, you're teaching about God. You are taking advantage of every opportunity to instill the truth of God who wants to build their lives. I'm going to tell you this. There is still, you ready? There is still great value in the family dinner table. As a family sits down together for a meal... As they talk about their day, as parents help children not only see God in their day, but talk about God, how God would help them deal with their day. Right? As God is taught then in both the church and the home, God is able to work and build a strength and character in a child that a parent cannot instill by simply loving and supporting that child. God must be the priority so that he has the opportunity to build your home. Now, besides letting God be the master builder of your home, it's also important to do this. Ready? Treat children as a blessing. All right, look at verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Now, There might be some who hear me say that statement and say, well, Brother Scott, isn't that a given? Right? Of course children are a blessing. I mean, we see people all the time post their gender reveals on on social media, right? And so, man, children, surely they're a blessing, right? Right? But you may not be aware that we live in a day and age where kids are often seen as a nuisance and a cramp in one's lifestyle or in some cases just an accessory. Many babies are aborted not because the mother is scared or uncertain what to do, but because she doesn't know if she can really care for this child. Many are aborted simply because the mom feels inconvenienced and doesn't want another child. There are many couples who struggle to have children wishing they could have a child of their own, while others put off having children because they want want to live life for themselves and they don't need the inconvenience of a child. It might seem like a given, but in reality, we need to see children as a blessing from the Lord. If we, don't, if we don't, even in those homes that choose to have a child and are blessed to have that child, they can mistreat those children should they forget that the children is a blessing from the Lord and who God has plans for. See, too often I see parents use their children. All right, maybe this is tough. But I see parents use their children to fulfill their dreams, to give them purpose, to give them status in the community rather than seeing the child as a heritage of the Lord whom God has a plan for. You see, even when a child causes you trouble, even when a child inconveniences you, even when a child has you at the end of your rope, that child is a blessing from the Lord. 
You, you must never, never forget that. Or again, you might abuse or misuse the children in your life. You know, I, I've even had times as a pastor that I've been in the you know, sanctuary and during church, maybe a parent had their child in there and their child cried or their child makes some noises. And then after church, they want to apologize. They say, oh, brother Scott, I'm so sorry my child made noise or you know, disrupted. I say, no problem. I don't have any problem with kids in the sanctuary. I don't have any problem with them making noise because here's what I know. If there's no sound of children in the church, there is no future for the church. All right? So we must treat children as a blessing. And once you understand the blessing that they are, you need to catch this. You need to point children in the right direction. All right? Point children in the right direction. Look at what verse 4 says. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Now, the psalmist here uses an illustration that would have been very familiar in his day. Now, some of our hunters in the room will understand clearly the use of arrows, though for many in the room, your experience with arrows is very limited. Bow hunters understand that you don't just pull back a bowstring and let it fly, right? Where's our bow hunters in the room? We got a few, right? Come on, somebody, who's a bow hunter in the room? Somebody tell me. Raise your hand. Clinton, you're a bow hunter, right? Should I just pull back the bow and let it fly? No, right? That would be a little bit dangerous, would it not? I could get in serious trouble doing that, right? We're just not going to pull it back and let it fly. Bow hunters understand, all right, that there's great precision required if you're going to hit your intended target. The best bow hunters even understand the importance of practice in order to be consistent in hitting the target. They understand taking the time to learn the specific actions needed to get the arrow to go exactly where you want it. Now, when I consider this illustration in regards to raising children, there are three things that come to mind. First, it's this. Ready? It is important to train yourself. The warrior who handles his arrows has been trained to use those arrows. The the, the warrior who, who handles those arrows makes sure he is ready to go into battle. A warrior makes sure to put in the training. Now, in some ways, if I was going to pick out one part of my message today to say, make sure you get this, here it is. So I want you to listen up. If you've tuned me out so far and said, I haven't heard this thing you said, I want you to listen. Because here's why this I feel is the most important, right? Because one of the most important things a parent, a mentor, a teacher, a leader of children can do is first make sure you are what you are wanting the children you influence to become. That you first train yourself. The old saying is true, ready? More is caught than is taught. All right, that doesn't mean you don't teach. I mean, if we go back to Deuteronomy 6, it clearly tells us we are to diligently teach the things of God to our children. But the reason it says we talk about them during the normal rhythms of life is because children are going to imitate what they see more than they will do what they are taught by words alone. It is why that one television commercial is so funny and effective when it talks about, well, we might not be able to keep you from becoming your parents. Y'all know what you want to talk, right? Right? Because as much as some of us say, well, I don't want to be like my parents, at the end of the day, we end up acting like our parents in more ways than at times we want to admit, right? Amen. (laughs) The reality is that what challenges adults who influence children positively is to look at their life and say this. You ready? Am I the kind of person I want children to grow up to be? If the children that I influence act just like me, will they be the kind of people the world needs? See, we need to be able to write the words that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 
Paul saw himself as the spiritual father to the Corinthian believers because he had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and saw them come to faith in Jesus. And so he loved them as his own children. What did he say to them in 1 Corinthians 11? 1, he said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I mean, what a powerful statement. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, in case you want to look at that as an arrogant statement, you shouldn't, because don't overlook the fact that Paul really pointed past himself to say, you know, look, imitate the parts of me as I am of Christ, right? In other words, imitate those things in me that are like Christ. Let's also consider the fact that when Paul makes this statement, it is not something that he considers an easy thing to say. If you go back just a couple of chapters, Paul mentions the discipline that is necessary to live a life that is honorable. And here's what he wrote before saying, imitate me. In 1 Corinthians 9, he said, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should be disqualified, all right? I myself should be disqualified, all right? Paul understood that if he was going to be able to influence people properly and with integrity, it started by making sure he first was who he needed to be. He understood that if he wasn't who he needed to be, he had no right to tell others who they needed to be. Paul understood that first training yourself was necessary before you can influence others properly, and a failure to first discipline yourself disqualifies you as a proper instructor of people. And it gets real quiet, right? Parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, mentors, leaders, teachers, hear me clearly. Before you work to make the child whom you are influencing into who you think they should be, make sure you are first the person who God wants you to be so that you can look at those children and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You have to ask yourself, am I studying God's word so I know what God wants for me? Am I letting the Holy Spirit work in my heart so I'm becoming the person that God wants me to become? Am I consistently sitting under godly teaching so that I'm learning the truths of God? Am I connected to a community of believers who are encouraging me and keeping me accountable? Am I living out the actions that I believe are pleasing to God? Those are just a few of the questions you need to ask. But if you're going to impact, all right, and point a child in the right direction, you must first train yourself. In fact, for some today, the first thing you need to do this morning is to commit yourself to saying, God, I want you to train me. God, I want you to help me be who I need to be because I want to impact the next generation. I want to raise my children correctly. I want to impact my grandchild, right? That that kid at church that I teach, I want to make sure they're becoming like you. And so you need to come today and say, God, help me be who you want me to be. Okay, right? Now, after you've trained yourself, the next thing you do then is purposely aim a child in the right direction. Again, you don't just shoot an arrow aimlessly. That can be very dangerous. Likewise, you shouldn't let a child aimlessly go in any direction. So the question I have for those in a place of influence to children today is, what direction are you aiming them? Unfortunately, even in Christian homes, we spend way too much time pointing children to the American dream rather than pointing them to God's dream. Adults spend too much time trying to help their kids be the best athlete, the best musician, the best student, and fail to help them be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Parents often want their kids to get the athletic scholarship, the academic scholarship, the music scholarship, so that they can get in the school of choice, so that they can be successful in their career, but fail to help their children get connected to God. Today, many families prioritize their children having experiences 
while failing to help children develop a genuine relationship with God through a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Are y'all sleepy this morning or is this hard? Okay. Are you just listening? Okay, thanks, Mike. Listen to this. The Barna Research Group, maybe you've heard of them. They continually research spiritual things, all right, in, in our society. A study in recent years showed that the percentage of young adults who drop out of church has increased to 64%. Stated another way, nearly two-thirds of U.S. 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in church tell Barnard they have withdrawn from church involvement as an adult after having been active as a child and teen. Is that a disturbing number? It should be. I think that statistic alone tells us that we have not made God a true priority in our supposed Christian homes. The group went on to study those adults who did stay in church and define them as resilient disciples. So what does it mean to be a resilient disciple? As defined in the book, Faith for Exiles, individuals in this group have made a commitment to Jesus who they believe was crucified and raised to conquer sin and death. They are involved in a faith community, hear me, beyond attendance at worship services. And strongly affirm that the Bible is inspired by God and contains truth about the world. Now, in addition to that, one or more of the following statements are true about them. I want to find a way to follow Jesus that connects the world in which I live. Two, God is work at work more outside the church than inside, and I want to be a part of that. Three, I want to be a Christian without separating myself from the world around me. All right? It is also interesting to note that 77% of those who fit into this resilient group said that when they were growing up, they had a close personal friend in the church who were adults. Once again, showing the need for a faith community in the life of our children and students. So if you're here today and say, I don't have kids, but you're an adult in this church, find a kid, find a student, invest in them because they need you, right? As I consider this information from Barna, here's what it tells the parents and other adults in the church. If you want to raise godly children, then, are you ready? Number one, your faith must be more than casual. Your church involvement should be more than minimal. And your faith must be practiced in your daily life. You got that? Do I need to read those again? Right? Your faith must be more than casual. Your church involvement should be more than minimal. And your faith must be practiced in your daily life. As Christian parents and mentors, we have to live out an authentic faith if we want to positively impact the next generation. I hope that for any adult in the church who has influence over children and students, that your goal would be to point them to God's dream for their life more than the American dream. And just like parents look at their children and say, we, we, wanna, we want them to have it better than we did growing up, all right? Maybe we should also look to spiritually say, we want them to achieve more spiritually than we did. We want to help them get there. One preacher made this statement. It bears consideration today. This is not unique to me. I'm not this smart. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be what you do, but who you raise. Think about this. Maybe God has placed in your home or small group the next Billy Graham or Lottie Moon. Maybe God has placed in your home a missionary to the Muslim world or a humanitarian who ministers to the poor in the name of Jesus. 
Maybe God has placed in your home or small group the next pastor of a local church or the restaurant owner who operates by biblical principles. Maybe God has placed in your home or small group one who have a heart for reaching his or her neighborhood for the Lord. What God is wanting you to do is help, all right, purposely aim them in the right direction and then release them to fly. This is the part that many parents especially don't want to hear. But you do need to realize, you know, from this time, all right, that if you're blessed from the time that you're blessed with a child in your home or your extended church family, whatever, the goal is to release that child to fly for God. It's hard because at the time God wants that child to go somewhere you don't want them to go, but God needs missionaries all over the world. At times that child might choose a profession that is not your choice, but God needs people in all professions, including those that don't pay what you'd like for your child to earn. Amen? Yes. The goal you should have as a parent or mentor or teacher isn't that a child ends up going down the path that you want, but ultimately that a child goes down the path that God wants them to have, and you be willing to let them fly so they reach God's goal for their lives. Which leads me to one quick final point as we prepare to close. Let godliness be the goal. This psalm ends with these words. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I'll be honest with you, this verse took me a little time to understand fully, but let's think for a moment. What kind of arrow are you going to put into your quiver if you're a warrior? That warrior spoken of in verse 4. What kind of arrow are you going to put there? Huh? I hear the best. Yeah, right? The best. Sharp. In other words, it's one that's ready for the battle. Right? You're not going to put an arrow in the quiver with a point missing, are you? Are you going to put an arrow in there that has a bent shaft? Are you going to put an arrow in there that has some of the fletching missing? No. At least not if you want an accurate and effective arrow. So verse 5 is speaking about how great it is for there to be children who are ready for battle, ready for what lies ahead. When they are prepared, they are ready to extend a positive influence in the community. The gate spoken of here in this verse is the center of commerce, legal, and intellectual life of the community. Therefore, when a child is prepared, even when enemies come, the values of the family are defended and extended even beyond the life of the parents. When a child is prepared, even when the winds of culture are blowing against the principles of God, they are ready to withstand and go against the wind. Oh, how our world needs children of godly parents prepared to extend the values of the Christian family into the communities in which they live. Yes? This is important because the first verse of the next psalm makes an important statement as well. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his way. You know, the truth is, if you make godliness to go for your children in your life and they reach it, and they reach it, both you and they will be blessed, and beyond that, the communities in which they live will be blessed. It reminds you of something. We started today by saying, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build labor in vain. Therefore, it makes sense that godliness would be the goal, because when that is the goal, you are simply pointing children to the master builder who wants to build their lives correctly and beautifully. You are pointing them to the master builder who loves the world and is seeking to redeem it. And if you are a part of building a strong foundation of godly families, then you can be a part, ready, of blessing the world. 
as we come to an invitation, maybe realize that you've left God out of the equation in your home. Can I say this to you? It's never too late to put him in his rightful place. Right? We're sleepy or something this morning, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. It's never too late to put him in his rightful place, and maybe you need to come to the altar this morning as a person of influence over the next generation and make a commitment to let God have control. Whether that means for you letting Jesus Christ be your Savior or whether that means giving him complete control today and and say, God, come, make me who you want me to be, maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe, again, you need to come and say, as I was pointing, I I need God to work on me. I'm not who I want the children I influence to to be. Won't you just come and say, God, help, help me be the person that I can look at the children and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And begin right here and say, God, I'm ready for the journey. I'm ready to do whatever it takes, God. Make me who I need to be. Maybe today, again, you recognize you haven't been pointing children in the right direction. You've been pointing them to the American dream and not God's dream. Why don't you come ask God to forgive you and show you how to make his dream the priority? Maybe you're having a hard time releasing one of your arrows today. As some of you, John Wright, as you get one ready to go to college, you're having a hard time letting that arrow fly? Okay. Why don't you come today and say, God, give me the strength to release my arrows out into the world. Or maybe you want to simply come and pray that we would raise a godly generation to positively impact our world because our world needs a generation that loves the Lord. Maybe we just come and pray. Would you bow with me, Father, as we bow into your presence today, Lord, we recognize that you are a God who loves us and you desire to build a godly home. We're thankful, Father, that you invite us into that journey with you and you allow us to be stewards of your children. For some of us to call them son or daughter, others niece or nephew. For some grandson or granddaughter. For some it's godson or goddaughter. For others we just call them friend. We thank you, Father, that you've allowed us to be in their lives and we ask today, Lord, that you'd give us the strength to be who we need to be, that we truly can look at the children of our life and say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Father, we know even if we're going to be who we need to be, Lord, it takes you working, you building our own lives. And so during this invitation time, God, we above all want to just yield ourselves to you. So as we have this time, Father, speak to hearts. I don't know what people need to do. I don't know, again, whether it's to come and pray you to work in their lives, whether it's just to come and maybe to pray for a wayward child. Maybe it's just to come to pray for our church, that we would be that place that could help parents raise godly children. Lord, whatever the need is, I pray in this moment that we would just simply bow before you, the master builder, and let you work in our life. So bless this time, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.